Yeah, where are all the students? Everything is labeled Georgia Tech, like that trolley is the tech trolley. Today, we're covering how to start a startup, and we decided to visit Atlanta, where the startup scene is booming. Georgia Tech University is ranked number four in most innovative schools by U.S. News and World Report. They also have a program called Creative X Startup Launch. It's a specific program for students who want to launch their startup ideas. Hey, Seth. Hey, good. How are you? It's Paco. Good. We are just downstairs. I don't know if you are free right now, but we just got here, so I took you to head up. Okay, perfect. I'll see you soon. Bye. Okay, so fifth floor. Up. Seth Radman. He's a coach for the Georgia Tech Startup Launch Program. He also went through the program a few years back. Now he's the founder of two tech startups and has developed, designed, and launched over 30 apps. So today we're meeting him in Midtown Atlanta because he knows what he's talking about when it comes to starting a startup. Hi, I'm Darby Masters, and you're listening to I Make a Living. the first time I like did a talk on stage or heard my own voice it was like this the weirdest thing I think it was when I did a TED talk at Georgia Tech okay. it took so much time getting used to hearing my own voice because oh, yeah. it's like oh, terrible sure. at first <laughs> I was always thought that would be like the best form of torture just have a megaphone that like the person can hear their voice back to them drive me crazy <laughs> has it gotten better for you oh yeah I just actually no I still <laughs> I still don't like hearing my voice okay yeah so Seth is pretty laid back. I love how he nonchalantly mentions he did a TEDx at Georgia Tech, like it's no big deal. But his accomplishments are pretty incredible. He has two startups. One, Mailmosh, an app to help you organize your email, clear out your spam, and protect your email in an incredibly innovative way. And two, Crescendo, a music tech product that uses AI and pitch detection algorithms for music training. But oddly enough, originally, his goal wasn't to go into tech startups. He went to school for mechanical engineering and just started brainstorming cool app ideas on the side. And I thought it was really cool to see something from idea all the way to actual execution and people using it. And especially with apps, I still think it's amazing that I could build something in my living room and someone on the other side of the world could use that. It just has such incredible opportunity for impact. So I I did that and got kind of good at it, had a lot of failures, but learned from all those. By sophomore year, he began his first business creating apps for people. While in school. While in school, yeah. While in school. While in school. Wow. I was kind of just doing it on the side. It was just a a fun challenge. I didn't really think that was going to be my career. It was just a fun way to learn new stuff and learn how to code and make some extra money. So that's where it all started for him. And now he's been labeled as one of the top 25 entrepreneurs under 25 in Atlanta. I feel like you're the best person to talk about (laughs) what to do if you have an idea. What's the next step? Like, what are they doing? Turns out Seth was the perfect person to chat with about this topic. He has experience with his own personal startup, but also his coaching side was pretty evident during this conversation. I think the first step to do is actually maybe a step before that, which is Focus not as much on the idea, but rather the problem you're trying to solve. We're not mentally trained to do that because ever since elementary school, middle school, high school, throughout all of our institutionalized education, it's always been, here's a problem, and I'm going to grade you based on the solution you find. Hmm. But entrepreneurship, I think the hardest part is the problem finding, 
right? Interesting. Okay. I think it really is. So for me, I actually have a note on my iPhone of anytime there's something that annoys me or bothers me, I, you know, write it down as a note. And a lot of the time, things that I've made are things that end up on my notes 20, 30, 40, 50 times that I'm finally like, all right, there's got to be a solution for this. Most of the products I've built have actually stemmed from some personal annoyances that I've had that I want to build a solution and make it better. Okay, so I did what everyone tends to do, start with an idea. But actually, there are a few steps before this. Seth is right. We tend to congratulate people on their ability to find solutions. But to find a universal problem, or at least a problem that a significant amount of people face, that's where it all begins. So I think the first step is finding a really good problem. And ideally, it's one that you experience so that you can understand it really well. And I think the next step in my opinion, is to try to find other people who also experience that problem. I think there's this big misconception that the first step is to like raise funding from investors. You got to get your t-shirts, right? And your logo and Instagram, all that stuff. I think people (laughs) skip to the stuff that is maybe easy to do and you see quite often. But for me, the biggest failure that I see besides some co-founder issues is building the wrong product that a lot of people build, 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 kind of close themselves out from the world and don't talk to other people and don't realize if they're building the right thing. Seth actually gave me a really good personal example of what it looks like if someone were to skip this step. He doesn't like to use the term fail, but he had a few ideas that, as he likes to put it, were before their time, including this one. So when I was going through this accelerator program at Georgia Tech, and this kind of ties into the email stuff I'm doing now at MailMosh, we were thinking about this idea of trying to help people clean out their inboxes. And it seems like You know, there's so many promotional emails that you get from airlines and stores and Amazon, all these places trying to sell you stuff. And a lot of the time you don't want it to go away entirely. Like you don't want to miss out on a good deal, but you also don't want it crowding your inbox so you can't find stuff, right? So we're thinking, hmm, what if there's a way to take those all out of your inbox and maybe put them into like an app instead and sort them by expiration date? Because we also got annoyed when you'd like go down and find a deal, but at the text at the very bottom and say that it's expired. <laughs> Sad. For some foreshadowing here, we thought our target customer were like women who went out shopping. We went to the mall and as strange as it seems, we walked up to 100 random women and asked them, hey, how do you find shopping deals? How do you find promotions? It was the scariest thing ever. We- <laughs> But anyways, we went up to 100 people and nearly everyone said, oh my gosh, yes, this will be amazing. I'd love it. We were like, oh, cool. Can I get your email address? I'll let you know when it's ready. They gave us their email. We're like, wow, maybe they actually care because you gave me your email. That's something private and personal to you. So we built it and launched it and literally had zero downloads. Zero. For several weeks. Now, I'm I'm not saying zero like metaphorically. Like it wasn't like there was five or six. We actually had zero. Literally. We didn't even download it ourselves. Oh, interesting. Which was such an important thing that we realized later that it was kind of an epiphany. Wait, if we didn't even download this and use it ourselves, why would other people use it? Okay, so technically, they did go to their target audience and ask questions. But at the end of the day, when people said it's a good idea, there wasn't much to support that. The problem wasn't strong enough to elicit an actual response once they created the product. And they weren't their target audience, and they didn't understand their target audience. It's more than just asking people, is this a good idea? It's truly going to the root of the problem itself. Okay, so one, figure out the problem. Figure out the problem. Two. Two, talk to people. So get out of the building, talk to people, and ideally you're trying to answer the question, who is my customer? And the best way to do that is to sometimes walk up to random people and ask them some questions, learn information about them, and figure out 
if they actually experience the problem that you experience too. And if it's a bad problem, is it something that's just a little annoying or is it something that is driving them crazy? So you're talking to people and looking for some kind of an emotional reaction to show that other people also have this problem. Okay, so that is the second. So you are solidifying that there is an issue. Exactly. Okay, and then three. And then three is... At this point, I think it depends on what type of thing you're building. So I guess the two high-level categories are B2B or business-to-business and B2C or business-to-consumer. So if you're building something that's B2C, like an iPhone app or a website that anyone could use, I think often the next step is to you can go ahead and start outlining your product. You You can go to that step of the actual idea for the solution now that you've solidified the problem and you understand the customer. If you're on the B2B side, like you're trying to sell software to a business, I think the next step is to try to actually go to those businesses and design a nice pretty deck with good pictures and mock-ups of maybe what you think you'll build and try to sell it before you build it. Oh, mm, So mo- most companies, they're not going to be able to implement your product at least for a few months if the sales cycle is shorter. So typically, I try to go to companies, sell it to them because one way to know if someone truly cares about your product is if they pay you. A lot of people will say, oh, that's a good idea. But a lot of people are lying. It's, it's not really their fault, <laughs> okay, right? It's okay, a courtesy okay. bias that sure. we don't want to offend someone. That's yeah. why it's important you talk to strangers because yeah. they don't really care that much about your emotions as much as your friends. Okay. But if you go to your parents and your friends, that's a common thing. People always say, oh, I went to my friends and parents and told them an idea. They thought it was amazing. This is a great idea. Right. I go to grandma. <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> but whose grandma is going to be like, hey, that's son. That's a bad idea. That, that idea sucks. <laughs> like, like my grandma would never say that. My grandma's amazing. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think the next stage is to focus on the product. If you're on the consumer side or if you're on the business side, try to start go selling and pitching again to solidify that it's really the right product. So one, two, three. But as you can imagine, there's much more involved than just three steps. How do you actually know your idea is going to work and that the problem is enough of a problem that people will buy into, sometimes literally, a solution? The first kind of product that you typically want to build is the minimally viable product or MVP. And the goal of the MVP, again, is to further confirm that you're actually building the right thing. So a lot of the time, you actually don't need code to build the first version of your product. Interesting. I think a lot of the time people skip ahead. So For example, let's say that you're a soccer player and you're struggling to make penalty kicks. I'm thinking of this idea on the spot, so it (laughs) may or may not be good. So you want to create you want to create a smart soccer ball, let's see, that has a Bluetooth chip inside that will have a gyroscope (laughs) and accelerometer and send data to your iPhone. Okay. If that product already exists out there, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal it. I feel like something (laughs) like that probably already exists. But anyways, let's pretend it doesn't. And so you talk to a lot of soccer players and like, oh, yeah, it's embarrassing when I go for penalty kicks and I miss them because you're supposed to always make them, stuff like that. And you hear over and over, oh, man, yeah, that's so frustrating. I just keep kicking, kicking, practicing, but it's really tough because I don't have a goalie. I'm by myself. I know we already have a Bluetooth soccer ball, so let's say, all right, we're going to create this contraption that's a goalie that slides side to side. Let's pretend. We can quickly see how this is a terrible idea and I should talk (laughs) to customers before I build this, right? This is a great idea. So for this... Maybe the first MVP, the first version of your product, is not some robotic goalie to block goals. Maybe instead, it's a simple form on a website, like a Google form that anyone could create, where as a soccer player, I can sign up and put in my location and a time of day that I want to practice penalty kicks, and a real human will come and be my goalie. Okay. Right? Uh So I would recommend if someone wants to do that, first, do it in a way that might seem really inefficient and not scalable, but is a way to get paying customers and see if it works. So yes, 
he recommends an inefficient and not scalable first version, which sounds very counterintuitive. But you're accomplishing the goal, which is to confirm that there is a problem and people care enough about it to seek a solution. So maybe it's 20 bucks for an hour-long session of penalty kicks, and maybe I've brought together eight or nine or ten people who will kind of be ready on demand, and if you give us a day's heads up, we'll send out a person and they'll be that goalie for you while you practice. What I recommend is that as a founder, you do that until you're so slammed and you come to me and you're like, hey, Seth, I'm so busy. I have so many people coming booking appointments with me to book goalies. I'm making so much money and I don't have any time, right? (laughs) Things that you probably don't hear as often. I think that's the time to then take that plunge and take it to the next level of maybe actually building out this potentially robotic goalie, if that's the idea you have. And the good thing about doing this model is a few things. One, you've mitigated a lot of risk. You know people want this, but more importantly, you know people will pay for it. Again, a lot of people will say, I want this. But in my opinion, someone paying for something is the ultimate validation of how much they actually care. The other reason, though, is you have a big customer base already ready and hopefully you have some good money. Right? So going into this, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to pull out of your own savings account. Hopefully you can take the money that you've made already kind of doing this manually to be able to pay a company to talk about prototyping the next piece. This is a tangible step for those with startup ideas. Create a viable way to assess if having a solution is needed and wanted. And it doesn't have to be complicated. That's the whole point of it being an MVP, minimally viable product. And the most important thing is getting to market fast, right? That with this goalie metaphor of a human going out there, that's something that I could go to Google Forms or Typeform and whip up in 10 minutes and I could start this business tomorrow and I could use FreshBooks to collect my money, (laughs) right? My favorite accounting software, right? It's a common misconception that you need money to begin developing your idea. An MVP can potentially cost you virtually nothing. And by the time that your MVP has confirmed the extent of the problem and what lanes people will go to for a solution, your networking and connecting might be all you need to further develop your idea because you've literally just created a community of people who will buy into your solution, whether that's financially or just with their voice. That data is powerful. So Seth told me these were exactly the steps he took to build his startup Crescendo. First of all, it might be helpful to know what that is. Crescendo is a music analysis engine. It gives real-time feedback for musicians. So essentially, you play a piece of music and it listens and tells you how you did and how you can improve. Now, how this all started was because Seth had a problem. He's a saxophone player, and one time a friend asked him to play something on the spot. It gave him immediate flashbacks of when his band director would do the same thing back in middle school. Back then, he got so anxious that he almost quit band. So that's a problem. And he ran with the problem and decided to see if others had this same problem, which step number one, find the problem. Step number two, solidify that this is an issue. They traveled throughout the southeast area of the states and met 100 band directors in person. They quickly began to realize that this problem affected more than just the students. It also affected the band directors and the parents. But the most telling information they received was that the band directors would spend one day a week doing playing tests. They would have their students play and record how they were doing. That's a lot of time dedicated to this issue. The first version of their product was really just to offload some of the work from the band directors. So they got six to seven schools to pay them $100 for their pilot program. The amount of money didn't really matter. What mattered was that people paid for this product, which validated the program. So the first version of our product 
remember when I said you don't actually have to build the first version, you just have to test? Mm -hmm. It was a product where a student would record themselves on the smartphone, just regular audio, and they would send that and a PDF of the music they played in an email to us. And within two hours, they would receive the assessment results back. Oh, wow. From our, I mean, quotes here, AI bot, right? <laughs> yes, of Which course. was really us. So we'd get an email and we'd sit down with the music, we'd make a copy of it, listen, and then mark the notes red and green and send it back. Oh, wow. So we were doing all that work that the band director had been doing and it spread like crazy. We put up one Facebook video. The next week, I think we had like 60 or 70 messages from band directors around the country wanting to have calls with us, wanting to buy it. So oh, wow. once we got to that point, we very quickly were at that stage where we were just too busy. And especially there are some people who work at strange hours of the day. We'd get an email at 3 a.m. and we promise that it'll be done in two hours. So we'd be like, all right, fine, I'll get out of bed, wow. do these and get back to you. <laughs> so we quickly built our iPhone app. This was how Crescendo became what it is today. And actually, today it's not an app because they've changed their business model. They now license their technology to other companies who have millions of users. This was a pretty neat success story, but not all stories have such an intuitive path. Sometimes if I'm working on a product, and it's been one, two, three months with just like crickets, no one using it. I think, is it just a button that needs to have a different word? Is it the background picture? Is it one small thing? So then when do you know to give up? For me, it's really become a gut feeling that I know that's a terrible answer. That's really hard to use that. I think there's a few things. I think a good reality check is if it's a problem you experience, are you using this product hmm. or would you use it, right? If you went ahead and built it, are you using it? you know, what I call the toothbrush test twice a day, <laughs> maybe, maybe twice a week. It depends on the type of product, but I want people to interact with my products a lot. And if you're not even using it yourself, that's probably a, a big sign that it's not a great thing. But the other is, this is why it's so important to try to get some initial users. Going back to this goalie product that we had, right? If yeah. to, to sample a, a goalie as a human, if you had five or 10 people pay 20 bucks for that hour session and come for you to have a human be that goalie, you know that at least 10 people believe in what you're doing, yeah. right? And if there's 10 here, surely there's more elsewhere. So for me, I really lean on my customers and my users, and that's why it's so important to get some users early on. Let's say your product passes the toothbrush test, and you do find enough of an audience to begin building your product. What about money? I think it's important to do the math and figure out how you're going to get paid to make sure you can keep doing this. I hear from a lot of founders, mostly first-time founders, that they say things like, I don't really care about the money, I just want to make an impact. And I hear that, and I love that their head is in that right space and that they're doing it for the reason of making an impact. But the harsh reality is that if they're not making money and they can't make a living or at least be able to do a part-time or something on the side, that they're not going to be able to continue doing it because they're not going to be able to sustain themselves. But in terms of how you actually get money, most of my experiences in the software world, specifically I've done a lot with mobile apps. I think a lot of people have app ideas. It's a pretty common thing. So I'll give a short example about apps because that's yeah, a commonly yeah. asked question, how you make money from apps. Yeah. So there's a few ways. One is it can just be a straight up paid app, right? Like Doodle Jump made a lot of money in you know, 2010, 2011 just from being 99 cents. They just got a massive amount of people yeah. to download an app for 99 cents. Most of the time, I recommend that people start their app as free just because... Apps have been viewed as more commodities lately. There's just so many of them that people expect there to be one available for free. And paying something without trying it first just feels emotionally scary. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to accidentally pay for something and then not like it. Yeah, that would be terrible. Yeah. So there's a model called freemium, which is where the app is free, but inside the app, you have in-app content that you can purchase. And then there's actually way more than just four. But I think the last most common one is through some kind of ads inside, where it doesn't necessarily have to be those annoying banner ads that rotate at the bottom. 
those are hard to make money, but sometimes it can be cross-marketing for other platforms. So for example, there's an app that I built in high school or in college that's still on the App Store, actually doing pretty well. It's a grades app that helps students figure out what grade they need to get an A in their class. You can see what I was focusing on when I was in college, <laughs> the least amount of effort to get an A in my class. And I've been trying to help other people who are trying to get access to students. So, hey, is your customer for your new startup or business a student? If so, cool, come to me and I can help you get access to students. And I also know their GPA, the classes they're taking, their major, oh, wow. stuff like that. It's all, it's all anonymized. Privacy is really important. Yeah. But it can help drive traffic to other people's products. Again, a lot of people like to go to this fourth category of ads because no one likes to pay for stuff and they know that they'll get more users and if you make it free, but you have to get a lot of users to make that effective. Just for ballpark ranges of the apps I've worked on, I think there've been a few that were around 100,000 users and we'd probably make around 75 to 100 to $150 per day. Oh, wow. So probably lower than most people yeah. would be thinking, maybe not enough to actually sustain Same. you. Maybe if you have a few apps, Possibly. Now that we're talking about finances, venture capital funding is the elephant in the room. When anyone mentions startups, a conversation about VC money always ensues. We've all seen Shark Tank, and the news is littered with stories of small companies getting funded. But is that the way to go? I think venture capital can be really helpful for certain businesses and at certain stages. I'm going to address first to where I don't think venture capital or VC money is good and that's a lot of the time if you're a first-time founder and you don't have any customers or product or validation about your idea and you think the first step is to raise money. Almost always, that's not your first step. And you should really be focusing on growing your company more than doing things that investors want to see. That's one of the phrases that bothers me the most when I ask a founder, you know, why are you doing this? Oh, investors like to see this. <laughs> sure, I mean, but what investors really want to see is often the same thing that you want to see, which is progress on your business. The reason why I was a little hesitant is just like anything where you, whenever you're taking money from someone else, you're giving stuff away, right? You're giving away some control. You're giving away some ownership of the company. I've been very fortunate that the investors that I've worked with have been the most amazing investors that typically support me with whatever my vision is for the startup and help give me introductions to other people. But I've also heard lots of stories from other founders where they started a company, weren't performing, took in you know half a million dollars or $200,000 from investors, and then didn't live up to the metrics that they set. And then maybe they gave up over half their company trying to raise outside capital, and eventually that, they got voted out of their own company. Oh, right? Wow. I know it's in the TV show and movies. This yeah. does happen for real. Yeah. And it's not a fun thing when you're sitting at your board meeting and you're not sure if you're still going to be in your own company that you started. Yeah. I would recommend that people try to see if there's any way that you can get around taking outside money because there almost always is, but it just sounds nicer to raise money because that's what makes the headlines, right? Yeah. That's what's in the news. Like you wouldn't see a news article about like, oh, Seth managed to increase retention from 5% to 12%. But I would argue <laughs> that that's more important. Yeah, that's sure. often more important, sure. right? Getting money from customers, making sure it's the right product. So I think, you know, if you're considering trying to raise venture capital, do your research and especially if you're in software, you really probably don't need to take that. If, even if you're in hardware, can you, for example, 3D print the first version? Believe it or not, people will pay for something that's 3D printed. A lot of people even think it looks cooler, 
right? So they're willing to pay for that. So whatever your assumption is about what people will do, just try that. The worst case scenario is you go out there and you get rejected and you're wrong, but you figure out why more quickly. Getting VC funding can be risky, but for some people it does work. Seth's suggestion to do a bit of research is a good one. You don't want to regret the decision you make, no matter which direction you go, because we are talking about the future of your business here. The more pitfalls you can avoid, the better. Oh, there's way too, there's so many things that you can mess up. At the end of the day, I think the number one thing is just simply building the wrong thing. I think people think about the solution more than the problem or their customers and they start building, they try to go hire some company to build the product or they start coding it themselves and they don't talk to people and they hire a marketing firm. I've seen this many times. They get the Instagram page up, Facebook, all this stuff. And then they launch it and then it just sits there. People just don't use it and they don't understand why because they didn't talk to people and they don't know why people are leaving. The most common thing I think is people just building the wrong product. But besides that, there's a lot of other things. Co-founder issues is a big thing that I see a lot of people not having the serious conversations with their partners about how equity will be split and how things will work. And you got to have those conversations early on because it's uncomfortable but I guarantee it's more uncomfortable when money actually starts coming in to have those conversations or when you you know, start a company with your cousin or, or family member and having those conversations. But other than that, I think some other ones are people taking too much money early on, sometimes people not taking enough money, people maybe focusing on the wrong customer segment, maybe it's the wrong age group, maybe it's a different location. I think there's another big thing that is a little difficult to control, but timing is a really really important factor that there's actually some things I've done that I mentioned that email product, right? That store promotional emails. That was probably about three years ago. Well, now when I'm doing at MailMosh, it's not the same product, but it's in a similar space, helping people maintain privacy and control over their email. So I think I was a little too early with that product. In fact, I remember talking with some other people and there's actually a few apps that are nearly identical to that one that just came out. They're doing really well now. So maybe timing was not in my luck. But I, I think if you were to take away two big things to really focus on that or in your control, it's a matter of you know pulling together a super team of ideally no more than three people. It just gets complicated if it's more than that at first, people who you trust, and talking to customers to make sure you're building the right thing. It's one thing to talk about starting a startup. It's a whole other thing to intentionally begin the first step. We had an idea, and the yeah. idea was we're going to bring Paco back in, and um, we were thinking maybe we could do some brainstorming. Let's do it. So we thought it would be really cool to go through the process of figuring out a problem and then a solution and figuring out if it's a viable thing. Let's do it. That sounds awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's perfect. do it. So let's start with maybe – discussing some of the problems and issues that we face on a daily. And also, you don't have to share anything that you have an actual idea for. So, so that's fine. I have no problem sharing my ideas. I, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. I think it's an important thing. A lot of people are scared to talk about their idea. Oh. They're worried that people are going to take it. And I think a lot of them make the mistake of going to people and the first thing is, hey, will you sign this NDA? In the startup world, I don't know if you knew this, but like we don't sign NDAs. Oh, uh, interesting. No investor will sign an NDA. If you walk in asking for them to sign an NDA, they'll say goodbye. The reason why, it's not a mean thing for them to try to do anything deceitful. It's purely that, at least for investors, they hear so many ideas every day. They're constantly pitched. It is a known fact that ideas are going to overlap or be redundant. Yeah. Whenever I have a good idea, I try to tell as many people as possible, A, so either someone else will build it because I want the solution, or B, so that they'll tell me it's a bad idea and <laughs> save me from wasting time. Okay, so, okay. 
Um, one of my coaches going through the program, I was so worried about people taking my idea. He said, how about this? You know, here are the top three music tech companies. I actually have intros to people high up in the C-level. I challenge you to try to get them to steal your idea. If one of them steals it, I'll give you a million dollars. I was like, ooh, <laughs> fastest way to make some quick cash. So I, call, I only got through to one of them. I emailed the other person five times, got through to one person, said, hey, I have a really great idea for how your product could be better. Told them the idea, and they said, oh, thanks so much. I'll put that on our list of features for us to consider on our next version. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. So sure, there always is a little risk. Most of the time, people are so absorbed in what they're doing that they really don't care about your idea. Mm. That's the truth. Okay, so let's start throwing out ideas or or problems. Let's start throwing out problems. I like it. So Paco and I did talk about some problems that we faced. Wait, I forgot already. You don't remember yours? (laughs) Okay, I guess it's not that bad. I guess it's not that bad of a problem then. Apparently not. (laughs) Okay, so Paco, you go ahead. Share your problem. So I hate going to a restaurant and having to wait to get like a table. Yeah. I was thinking, what if there was an app that could tell you in lifetime? how many people are on a waiting list. So it's kind of serves a two purpose where it is a wait list tracker for the hosts of the restaurant, but at the same time it's connected so that you as a consumer can see, okay, there's 15 people in line at this restaurant for brunch. The wait is about 40 minutes. So I can either add my name or I can decide whether or not I want to go to that restaurant. So for multiple restaurants. Yes. Okay. So, you, so it's, it's like kind of like, yeah, like open table or Yelp, but for specifically for yeah. queues or the waiting lines. I like that. So what you just did there is you jumped straight from the problem to a solution. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. what a lot of people do. <laughs> okay, okay. 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 So, so I would take a step back and make sure that you have a really clear understanding of the problem, which to me it sounds like the problem is that it's taking too much time for you to wait in line at a restaurant. So I have a toddler okay. and anytime we go out to a restaurant... If there is a queue, likely we're going to have to leave because asking a toddler to stand in like the waiting room of a restaurant for 25, 30 minutes without him like either throwing a tantrum or, you know, wanting to eat or sure. run around, then for us is like, okay, we're going to fight somewhere else. Uh, so this is different, right? Yeah. It's the, so the problem isn't the time. Specifically, the problem is having to wait at a restaurant with young kids oh, is just not feasible. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. Because now you jump, or your original solution very quickly was an app that will tell you wait times, but what if the restaurant could provide a childcare service or toys for kids to play with, mm. right? Or maybe there is a way that that restaurant could be connected with Uber Eats and the food could be delivered to your home. So there's a lot of ways that things can be solved and you're not the only person to do that. So many people, they go straight to the first product they think of. So a lot of the time when you have that idea, this is why you get really refined on the problem because now who do you go to talk to? People who have you know kids between ages maybe one to three and go out to eat maybe three or more times per week type thing, and you go to talk to them, this is what you can uncover from asking them, oh, you're standing in line for a long time. Why is that a problem? Oh, because my kid, this, well, for me, maybe it's because I have an important meeting, or maybe it's because I want to eat quickly so I don't get caught in rush hour traffic. This is what I'm talking about, that understanding your customer. I think a lot of people interpret that one way, and they understand them, and then they get a layer deeper and a layer deeper and a layer deeper to the point where you really want to try to understand emotionally what's going on in their brain and and how they feel because your product is helping them feel a different way. So how do you fight the urge to come up with a solution? So you say you sometimes write a problem in your notepad 40 times. Mm -hmm. How do you stop yourself from not being like, ooh, I got a solution? How do you wait until it's big enough of a problem 
for you to start thinking about it. Creating a solution? Yeah, okay. or do you come up with 40 different solutions? So a lot of the time I do have a solution in mind. Like I'm going to brainstorm, but like it's really hard to think of a problem and not at least think of some solution. It's a bias that we have that it's going to be hard not to favor the first thing you thought of because that's very common. So asking your customers can honestly be be really great, but your customers won't tell you what to build. They'll just tell you what they want as the result. And it took me a while to understand this, but your customers don't care about your product. They care about what it helps them do, hmm. right? That's awesome. You may not care if I'm doing a restaurant delivery service or if I have childcare or toys or entertainment at the restaurant, as long as you don't have to worry about you know your kid bursting out crying and causing a scene in a restaurant, right? But to me, those are two very different business models, different products, different technologies. So I think one is just to recognize that you're going to prefer your first idea. And the other is to get really divergent before you converge on one idea. So normally, you mentioned 40. I normally try to come up with like 100, 150 ideas where you don't judge them or rate them at all, where some of them should be impossible, right? Like maybe I'm going to have a drone come pick up your child and like twirl around outside for entertainment and then bring it back in. Because even the, even the crazy ideas, they often lead you to ones that are practical, but just more creative that people haven't heard of or thought of before. Somehow I always end up with an idea with drones in there. I don't know why. But <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great problem. I think, it's, isn't that a weird phrase? That's a great problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a great problem because it's it's easy one to find. Lots of people who I'm sure experience the same problem. Okay, for you, do you have any problems? Oh, I got plenty. Let me pull up my list. <laughs> yes. no. Let's see which one we want to do it. today. Problems. 2,946. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. Look, just constant problems. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. All right. Let's see. <laughs> ah, So, like, full disclosure, some of them are just not really big problems. They're, like, absolute, just, like, first world problems that are not real. But mm-hmm. I, I write down everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just annoying. Just to get it, right? Yeah. So, like, uh-huh. one of them is not being able to shave the back of your head or neck by yourself accurately. Oh, okay. Because then you need to go get a haircut. Exactly, a whole haircut just because your neck. Because like my neck grows more than my face. So, and also just like shaving, having to clean up all the hairs, trying to like keep it like clean and not make a mess in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Because I I always do. See, just like that, I already have some validation (laughs) there. See, there you go. Uh Um, Let's see. I take a ton of pictures on my iPhone and never end up looking at most of them or deleting them, but they just all sit there and constantly take up memory. I do that all. And then it's hard to find the ones that I want to when I'm looking for like a certain thing. Right? Not knowing what size t-shirt to get when someone asks you because not all larges are actually the same as every other large. So true. Right? As you can see, I have a lot of random weird things. Okay. um, So for (laughs) for the the phone, the the pictures in the phone. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah. I've... I have this fear that I'm going to like take a picture of something important and then I really want to come back to it. So I I probably have like 12 or 13,000 pictures that are just sitting there. I've started marking important ones as favorites, but every now and then I go through the favorites and now my favorites are at like 100, which is clearly way too many favorites. <laughs> but what I've been doing recently is just a dump of all my pictures into some random folder on my computer okay. and then delete them from my phone thinking that way, like I've never needed these, I probably won't, but maybe if I think of something, then at least I can go back to my computer and try to dig around and find it. Like okay. it makes me feel reassured knowing that at least I'm not going to lose anything. It's There's the fear of losing something. Mm-hmm. I call those photos you were describing delete photos because you, <laughs> you take it in a moment thinking this is such a great photo and then when you see it again you're like oh this is what was i thinking yeah, like a bridge or like yeah. oh the sunset like look at this beautiful sunset you don't care and then you, you look at it never care and then you look at it sunset. inside and you're like hmm this looks like a normal sun you know what would be interesting is if there was so now i'm going to the solution <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun though you can go to it it's fine um okay i have one was, i want to see what you come up with okay <laughs> if there was an app where it's kind of like Pinterest, 
where you have categories for all the things mm. that you're interested in, except for idea. it's your own photos. But maybe organizing them would make it easier. So instead of a giant exactly. photo of a thousand, it'd be yeah. like 20 here, 35 here. Exactly, based mm. on a category. And it's easier to find them because exactly. that's a big thing too. So if you have it categorized, you can also still have a folder of like uh, random photos. Right. And then you have that folder and that's like a couple thousand. But then you have folders like apps that I really enjoy or like sunset photos. I like that. <laughs> like, so yeah. that's like a whole app just for photos from your phone. I like that. What was your idea, Paco? I'm curious. So my idea is it would be an app that you can set kind of like notifications where at the end of the day, you can set up a time. So at 9 p.m. every day, it'll give you a notification and it'll show you all the photos you took that day mm. and you can decide whether you want to keep them or not. Oh, that's I like that too. because yeah. I feel like a lot of it's a thing. You take a photo in the moment and 10 minutes later, you're probably won't care anymore. So that way every day you kind of like go like, okay, this one I'll keep, this one I don't like. Mm-hmm. And then idea. it's like every day or it can be like weekly or monthly or whatever. Mm-hmm. You just go through the photos you took recently. And mm-hmm. This is why it's really helpful to be in a team and brainstorm together because you'll piggyback off of each yeah. other's ideas. We always have to have the idea of a drone that could just take my <laughs> camera <laughs> for me. Absolutely. Obviously. have to have the drone in there. <laughs> you have so. to have the drone. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> Coming up with problems without immediately trying to fix them is a lot harder than you'd think. Our minds really are trained to find solutions. But throughout this whole conversation, we focus the most on the beginning two steps, defining the problem and confirming that it actually is a viable problem. If you're anything like me, you already have a few ideas that you'd like to develop. But the biggest takeaway from this whole conversation is to start at the beginning with the problem and spend a lot of time there. The last thing you want to do is create a solution that no one wants or is willing to buy into. On an encouraging note, we've also discovered that starting a startup isn't out of reach. The steps that Seth gave us are actionable. I mean, it will take a lot of hard work and diligence, but you don't necessarily need a big budget to start. You really just need a group of people who have a problem. And here's another center stage from our trip to Atlanta. I am Charla Rochelle. I am a fashion designer and shop owner, fashion designer, CR clothing company, shop owner, concoction to workshop. My struggles, sustainability and financially, um, needing more investors in order for me to grow. And successes, because I am a fashion designer, I and my clothing has brought me to international status in order for me to grow my business. And I was selected as, out of thousands, um, of fashion designers for Toronto's first fashion design competition called Stitched. And it premiered September 2018. So that was my proudest moment because I was recognized for all the stuff that I've been doing and continue to grow and be the best that I can be as a designer and an owner and boss lady. People can connect with me. The easiest way is Instagram. I'm personable. They can reach me at C-R-C-C-O. If you'd like to be featured for Center Stage, there's a link on our website where you can record an introduction. Just go to freshbooks.com slash podcast. 
I Make a Living was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. To learn more and get an exclusive offer, go to freshbooks.com slash podcast. If you want to attend an event, go to freshbooks.com slash events. Thanks to Seth Radman for his insights on startups. If you'd like to find out more about him and what exactly a burner email address is, you can find his information in our show notes. This podcast was made possible because of audio engineering and music composition by James Morris, co-production and direction by Paco Arismendi, and I'm Darby Masters. Thanks for listening to I Make a Living.